Over the past few years, we've seen the renaissance of the email as publishers and brands have rediscovered the benefits of that direct relationship with audiences. The power of the email can be seen from the sky-high valuations of newsletter platforms, in addition to the amount of time that is being spent iterating on existing email strategies. But at the same time, the format has yet to truly deliver on its promise. So a lack of investment in and understanding of the technology that underpins the more sophisticated strategies still holds it back. So to discuss the realities of email, particularly around the thorny issues of monetizing inventory while protecting user data, I'm joined by a panel of absolute experts who I'm delighted to introduce now. So please give a hand to Andreas Jurgens, who is the CEO and co-founder of Pacendo, Anders Rasmussen, who's CCO and co-founder of Pacendo, and Michael Ring, who's VP of Digital Strategy at Access Intel. Thank you all so much for joining me to have this chat. It's a pleasure. Thanks for Thank having me. Andreas, I wondered if you could maybe give us a quick introduction to why innovation around in-email advertising has stalled over the years, particularly given that there has been so much focus on it over the past couple of years, months, even decades. Absolutely. Email is, is basically one of the oldest pillars of the internet. And as the web and normal advertising on the web has developed, in a lot of fronts, email have been standing still. And the mm. technical challenge for doing intelligent ad serving in email is just different. You know, uh, when you have a normal ad server that works on, on web like we all used to, you're very dependent on cookies and you're very dependent on JavaScript. And most of the big platforms out there providing ad serving are highly dependent on these and cannot really work in environments where these are not present. And, you know, what you need to do to be able to do this efficiently in email is to solve these challenges in a different way. How do you identify the users without cookies? How do you provide intelligence in the medium inside the page of the email you're looking at without JavaScript? This is something that um, is now really important if you want to go and have a good uh, strategy for how to commercialize, that you have tools that can actually do these things. So you have the control and transparency that you need to have a decent strategy as, as a publisher. So. Why this haven't developed is a good question. I think one of the reasons could be that email normally for a traditional publisher might encounter anything from, from 5 to 10% of their total mm. inventory. But this is also typically inventory that could be put on top of what they already have, incremental revenue. So this not being addressed is now becoming an issue for many, many larger media organizations that they need to address this to absolute maximize what they can get out of the different channels they own. See, I think that's really interesting. The fact as well that you know you, you spoke there about it being additive. It's still seen as a kind of a nice to have rather than a must have. So, Mike, what is I suppose the what is that underlying reason why people still see it as a bit additive and not something that they should be putting a lot of resources into? It's a great question, and funny enough, it's something that we at Access Intelligence are, are trying to change our perspective, especially with our clients um, now as we as we talk, because uh, you know. It, it was something that I think kind of fell by the wayside in the past. There's a lot of added value, a lot of make goods, you know, hey, let me throw you into a newsletter. It was never really at the forefront of the product. Um, but as things change, right, as there's Apple privacy, as there are um, other privacy issues or ad blockers, I think what we're doing now in the industry is we're seeing the, the email itself move to the forefront. You know, you've got a limited amount of inventory and you've got an engaged audience. So it's an opportunity to really bring value both to your audience and to your advertisers. So it, it was something that fell by the wayside, and that's why it wasn't additive. But I do think, not just us and Access Intel, but I do think um, the industry itself is seeing that product, you know, that piece of uh, the puzzle, really become something that is much more uh, the forefront of what the product set is, and not so much the additive. 
And I think we can see kind of the the tangible benefits of that from the sheer amount of money that places like you know Substack Revenue uh, Review rather kind of they're investing in that direct relationship. So Anders, to what extent then is the industry waking up to the value of this engaged audience via via email again? And it has it been something that you think has been neglected, particularly over the past couple of years? I just I just reminded myself just before we our talk here that. That we actually been looking a little bit into how 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 old email is actually is as a as a channel, and we're looking at it. It actually it actually started before the internet was invented, yeah. which is back in the seventies, which is actually pretty pretty interesting. And then if you look at the the whole story, I'm not gonna I'm not gonna go through all this sort of the decades here, but it's it's an interesting journey from where it you know it was invented by I don't think some military project back in the seventies to then in the eighties, you know, when the in- internet was invented. When in the 90s, when everybody just started having an, an email and it suddenly be, started become the, the internet's key, key to digital life. And then from going there into a decade, you know, where spam suddenly became an issue, you know, everybody was just sending email blasts everywhere. And, um, and then actually how this whole privacy issue suddenly, you know, became a challenge mm-hmm. again. And now we're back to where we actually began or almost began where email is sort of coming a little bit back to becoming, you know, the the key to digital life, which is which I think is pretty interesting. So, I think uh, to answer also maybe your your, your question a little more in is that I think there's a lot of answers to that. I think one of them is that it it ties uh, pretty much into that whole discussion that I know that companies like like Mike and Exxon until they have today, you know, about building this whole subscription strategy. And this is not just email; this is across both web and email. You know, how to sort of maintain the users and and, and the audience. One hundred percent. And I mean, you've you've touched on so much there that I know we're going to get into over the course of the discussion. But one of the things you you really mentioned is the, this kind of idea that as we've moved back towards a I suppose a subscription economy, particularly around publishers, they are looking. To to reestablish those direct relationships and then monetize them in kind of more uninteresting ways. So at the moment, do we think that publishers particularly are getting everything they can from the emails they send? Absolutely not. I think it's yeah. an under, underdeveloped area. And I think it's an area where, you know, the resurgence that's happening now is, is the resurgence for people who are on the forefront. And I think the main body of publishers are still seeing that they need to do something, but they lack the, I wouldn't say the, the, the ideas to do it, but maybe the tools. Mm. And, and it has to come from the understanding that this is commercially viable to do. It's something that, you know, we could talk about the decline of the trust of, of normal display advertising on the web. People are saying, I see a banner here. I don't want to click it. I'm afraid where my user data goes. All of these things, these things work different in email. Email is a trusted channel between a sender and a recipient. And when you have your email newsletter that you're waiting for every morning to see the latest business news or sport news or whatever you're seeing here, you know, that's a trusted channel. And, and, and that channel, not to commercialize it in some way is you know, it, it, it doesn't work on the long term. You know, as a publisher, you need to get paid for whatever you're building. I've been in ad tech for 25 years. Mm. You know, we are trying to keep the internet free. And, and, and this works in the same way. You know, if you need to keep this tr- trusted channel free, you need some other way of commercializing it. And, and advertising is just a strong, strong thing to go and do here, especially if you get the right tech. So you don't have data, data leakage and you have relevance being the top priorities for this. This would be my top priority. So I think there's a mass body of publishers who are now realizing that they need to go and do this and they need to find the right strategy. 
strategy for actually doing this without interrupting the trusted channel that email is, and they're already recognizing that it is. But the big question that naturally follows then is what is preventing publishers from doing this? What are some of those big impediments? You mentioned tools. Is that kind of a lack of awareness around what tools are available or of how to implement them? There's a few things I want to unpack. One is, Andrews, that's a, a pretty cool timeline that you just laid out before about email from like start to finish or, or where we are today. I thought that was awesome. That was pretty cool. Um, I kind of geeked out on that a little bit. Um, the other thing is to say what Andreas was talking about. I, I agree. As a publisher, as I, I've been in the publishing side for the majority of my career, we're not doing uh, all we can with email. We can certainly do better. And yeah, it's a trusted source, but it's also, it's just an additional way to stay relevant with your audience, right? I think what they say, people have the attention span of a goldfish. So you really need to see something more than that one time to have it resonate, right? And so especially in the B2B industry, where the content you're reading relates directly to your job, your, your day in, day out job. It's something that you really rely on. Um, and I think that's why our clients, you know, our, our advertisers as a publisher, they come to us as a trusted source. So to, to look at email as being, again, back to the additive part, it's something that's so important to just the overall media mix that um, we need to be doing more. So I think that, you know, with looking at privacy again and looking at just how you can reach your audience and, and how much is out there, um, it's become so important to see how we can maximize um, our emails, how we can monetize them, how we can get better content, how we can get better audience interaction with it. And I think now, now we're addressing a lot of, of sort of the, the traditional publishers. I think there's also a whole resurgence of publishers who are email first and who are mm. basically building strategies around email and then web becomes secondary or, or might not even exist in the mix for them. And these guys have seen the light in regards to this is the trusted channel of the future. Easy for me to say. I'm in the middle of email. I build email every day, but, but we really think that this is, you know, the emergence of something new and strong. And the guys, the publishers who are out there who are realizing that they will win that game. Eventually, the big guys might catch up, but it's going to take a time. And there's ample time for new guys who are creative and who want to work with formats to go and gain market share and, and gain you know, a trusted audience for their communication. So Anderson, what are some of the kind of the current impediments to actually addressing this, this issue of not fully monetizing, not fully making the most of your emails? And you know, is there anybody who you think is, is overcoming those impediments really well? What I've seen that a lot of our most successful clients is that you know they have obviously used our tool to use it in a way that are somewhat similar to what they do on web, right? Mm. So build commercial products like you would do on web with, 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 your, with your advertisers. So for example, go out and say, hey, you know, would you like to buy uh, 1 million email ad impressions across all our newsletters to talk about, you know, the salmon industry, for example. And uh, by the way, I'd like to use a frequency capping of 10 and it should only be the people in Hamburg and Berlin area mm. that should revisit that, you know. That's something that would be a very, very normal standard way of, you know, running an ad ad in, in on the web. Now this is something you 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 can you can do with, with, with an email ad server, for example. What with the focus on privacy being so great at the moment and users being slightly more aware of what is necessary around privacy. Uh, how are publishers protecting themselves, but not just themselves, but their audience as well in this kind of journey of in email advertising? I think it's it's something where a lot of them have seen the light on the web. 
they would not allow to have some foreign tag from some independent platform running without knowing exactly what data is being exposed to what data is being leaked. I think a lot of publishers right now might be commercializing their email, but they might be using some tools for doing that, that let data leak left and right. Mm. And, and you have to be conscious about that because this is something that could ruin this trusted relationship you have with the end user. All of a sudden, you will see, I hope, the same focus on, on user privacy and, and trust of this channel that that needs to become apparent also with the tool selection you have. If you just choose some random commercialization tag, you put it in your email, you receive a check every month, but you let the data leak and that becomes part of the product for, for, for the guys who are selling you the tag, that's, that's not you know something that's compliant with the way we are thinking and with the whole European situation and the California mm. situation where you have laws now coming in place where you, know, you need to protect the user data. You need to make sure that you know, if you're sharing the data, there's a good reason for it and everything that can be anonymized should be anonymized. And you could say a lot of cookie practices are, are way over the limit to what you would say is all right. And then you have you know, the whole identity graph game, you know, people who are building identity graph, they might not use the cookie, but they're still trying to fingerprint everybody. For me, that's very borderline. You know, why do you do it? Who do you share the data with? For what reason? Does this really benefit the end user? For me, that's the, the main question here, to try to protect the end user and the privacy of the end user. And if the tool selection you have, you know, do not take this into account, then you have the wrong tool selection. That's that's definitely how I would put it. And I think there's a lot more people are a lot more focused on this on the web than they are on email, but I think mm. it's coming for email as well. Otherwise, you know, the whole trusted thing about this channel will will slowly wither away. Yeah, absolutely. And in fact, that takes me back to something I want to ask Mike, because Mike, before you were talking about that kind of direct relationship and the trust that's kind of built around that, but when you are trying to build out new potential, you know, in email advertising solutions, how, how sure can you be that you are going to be compliant? What are the best kind of, what's best practice for making sure that you are protecting kind of user privacy when you are developing these tools? It's a, it's a great question. I think you have to start internally and say, all right, who are the right teams to bring in? Who are the right people to, to understand, um, you know, your tech partners, your stack and, and really trusting those partners themselves. I mean, a big thing for us is when we bring someone into our tech stack, they go through a rigorous process. You know, we are assessing them. We are looking at, um, industry standards. We're looking at how they themselves present themselves in the industry, um, before we ever bring anyone into our tech stack. So I think really having a trusted technical platform. Is, is what's really important for us. Um, and so when we work with our CDP or our ESP or you know, working with anyone in those industries, you really need to, to sit down and understand where there could be data leakage and, and how you could protect your, um, y- your data. Because again, it goes back to your brand. Uh, it's, it's not good for you and it's not good for your clients if you have your data leakage. So you really want to make sure you're not hurting anyone. Um, so yeah, it's, it's really just important to understand who you're including in that tech stack and, Kind of Andres's point. You don't want to just throw a tag on your. On your email. You want to make sure you're you're, you're vetting your uh, your partners quite well. Yeah, you've actually got to put the work in and can't just take that kind of easy solution out. Yeah. Exactly. Uh, well, we've spoken about some of the potential downsides there of doing it wrong, but what are some of the benefits that are specific to uh, in email advertising? And you know, how do we sort of communicate that to audiences who might not necessarily even be aware that it's possible now? So, Anders, what are some of those benefits to in email advertising? Um, I think, uh, I think, you know, first of all, e- email is an engaging media. Um, I think probably most, you know, p- people in the industry here, they would, they would probably not, uh, on that. So, um, that means that usually when people, they go in and they sign up to receive a newsletter about 
whatever pets, you know, it's 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 more or less sort of automatically automatically uh, targeted into people who's interested in pets, right? Mm. And if you sign up to receive that newsletter, it's it's on your behalf, right? So if you wanna if you wanna if you wanna read the content in there, you know, it's usually also very sort of content heavy about that topic. It means it's and it's not plastered in with you know blinking banners everywhere. And you are, you are aware of who they are, I suppose. More importantly, you know what they're into based on the fact that they are self-selected. Exactly, and I think this is also probably part of an answer to why we see more and more. Publishers, you know, starting building more and more newsletter verticals, you know, within different topics because they really see this very, very strong and engaged audience that really specifically sign up to just, you know, read about the salmon industry. So it's interesting that because it sounds so complementary to what publishers are already doing. They are, you know, reaching these audiences directly. That allows them to kind of sell to them, you know, whether that be subscriptions, whether that be products. But at the same time, if you are aware of who they are, you can presumably be serving them more relevant advertising as well. So it's not necessarily an additive thing as it is already complementary to a kind of revenue strategy. Hmm. I think it, it used to be that email was exactly as you mentioned. It was a secondary thing, and it was sometimes for a publisher tool to make uh, to to reach more subscriptions. You know, you send out free free emails, and then people you know become aware of your brand and they trust it, and then slowly they subscribe to the media. That's not the case anymore. I think you know email is often becoming the main course, uh, basically the entree where it used to be the starter. And I think that's a really important development. As Anna's mentioned, this is just you know a media where you have a strong strong singular focus and mm. people are basically looking forward to go and look at this email every morning or every week or every month and, and they're highly engaged. And this works well for the content, it works well for the advertising and it also works well for the publisher and the end user. So if you do this right, it's a strong, trusted win-win chain and if you do it wrong, you'll get no value whatsoever. So like <laughs> anything in life, like yeah. anything in life, you have to go and do it right but but the potential upsides are just huge. Yeah? When you look back at print, right? Print magazine for these companies, it was all about the circulation. How did you sell to your, your advertisers all about the circ well all right once we start to become a digital company what's the what's the next avenue and so it was all about those subscribers and so I, I think that's a very important fact is that it was all about boosting the subscriptions so you can almost show it as if it were the same thing as subscribers not that it's apples to apples but that really has changed now and it really is about delivering the right content to the right audience and making that a meaningful experience because that's what makes that audience come back and, and want to be a continuation of your uh, you know, of your overall audience for the brand. So um, again, it goes back to being good for your audience, but also good for your advertisers. So I think that's a, it's a huge point you make, Andrew. I think it's also, you know, fascinating as well, the idea that you spoke about the email as being a destination in and of itself. It is a sort of trusted channel, but it's also one that people look forward to because it is digestible. It's sort of separate from the, you know, the the, the mania of the wider internet. So the fact that you can put ads in front of these people in a place that's conducive to kind of their good mood and it's relevant to them is something that's so powerful. And it's something that I know that a lot of our listeners is something that they're grappling with is actually making sure that ads are relevant, contextual, and more importantly, mm -hmm. enjoyable. And, and let's be honest, it's, it's like with any advertising. If you do it right, it becomes part of the content. It's become something where it's content recommendation, where you're basically helping people evaluating uh, new products, new concepts, new services, new, you know, and if you do it wrong, it, it stands out in a horrible way. So like every other advertising point, it's really, really important to get the contextuality 
right and and to get you know the the right message in front of of the right eyes if you do it right it it becomes part of a greater whole and it adds to the experience so you know doing that right is just super super important and that's not easy to do let's be honest you know <laughs> it it requires great depth meaning that if 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 you just have you know two or three ads running in rotation in your email newsletter you'll have a horrible result but if you have you know a depth of 20 30 ads running with frequency controlled with first party targeting with with you know a, a, a tighter control of the contextuality, you're going to get really, really good results. But that's a demanding task. And it's a task where it's actually a little bit different from the web. Because on the web, you know, we normally have this analogy that when you're doing advertising on uh, on the web, it's like putting, you know, you know a net into uh, an ocean. You know, you're mm. fishing and you can have the same message and you'll have new fish coming by all, all the time. If you're actually running advertising in, in email, it's like, you know, fishing in a lake. You only have the same fish in the lake. So you need much more advanced strategy for actually putting in the right rod at the right time and having a lot deeper strategy for how to actually pull that off. <laughs> That's such a good analogy. I like that. I'm, I'm stealing that. I'm going to use that myself. <laughs> I suppose the question then is how are publishers at the moment, how are most publishers really monetizing their emails already? If I think back to the ones that I subscribe to, I typically see it through, you know, sponsorship deals. You know, people will deploy a code to say, if you want to go to one of our partners and use this code, then that actually benefits us. So how are most publishers really doing it already, I suppose? Obviously, our side, of Pacendo side, is that, you know, we see that most of, you know, so our, our clients are usually, you know, bigger publishers that are sending, you know, millions and millions and millions of emails. Um, I think in, 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 in our world and no offense here, Mike, but this is what we use maybe already today call a little bit sort of the old school publishers, you know, where they would, where they would, you know, take, and this, this goes back, you know, this goes maybe 10 or, or 20 years back when they started, you know, uh, sending the first newsletters, you know, they would take the, the, the classical ad formats, formats that they were using on web. And they would just copy that, you know, the classical MPU banner or, yeah. you know, the leaderboards. And they would just place that into the newsletters and they would use that and then just, you know, think, well, if it works on web, it also works in email. But if you look at the trends and the tendency that's going on today with what, you know, you then could call the new school newsletter publishers, you know, they, I think they're actually challenging the, the format. I'm really trying to, and Andreas was also talking a little bit about that and um, on, on, on building formats that are really, really, really integrated into to email, you know, and, and, and using the email as as it is. And this is where all these new sponsorship format come in, you know, where you have these, you know, sponsored by in the top and then you would own whatever uh, hundred uh, characters of, of text, you know, further down that we explain more about the product. Uh, so I think we're seeing a lot of a lot of things happening uh, in terms of formats there. It, it's it's crazy when you put it like that to think that people that publishers thought that kind of it was a, a, equivalent to the web to just kind of plonk an MPU down in the email. Imagine trying to sell that as a strategy now to somebody who was primarily using social and just kind of saying, well, you know, we're just we're just going to slap a banner right in the middle of your you know TikTok feed or whatever, and it just wouldn't work. And no. yet that was sort of the the philosophy back then. So Mike, you you were going to sort of follow up, I suppose, I think on what Anders was saying. I think Andrew's like knocked out of the park there. I mean, I saw I'm, I'm coming from the B2B side, and I think the first thing to point out is that B2B is generally behind, um, mm. you know, by by some years from the B2C side. I've, I've been on both sides of the industry, and you could definitely see the difference. However, um, we are catching up much faster than we used to. But yeah, I mean, when you look at sponsorship, or or even back to the banner ads, it was very easy to sell a package to a client and say, "Give us one banner, and we'll run it everywhere." Um, and that was easy for the clients. So it was easy for us, but that also has changed with the strategy of, again, being more meaningful. So, um, you know, I like to 
pat myself on the back and, and access intelligence give us a plug here but i like to think that we're trying to be at the forefront on the b2b side and really try to uh, integrate new new means to advertise with our clients uh, in our newsletters but yeah i think you know you look at the past to the future um, and how it's being monetized now it's sponsorships it's it's what's easy it's sponsorships it's taking those banners i think the difficult part is breaking out of what's easy, but still making it something that's going to be, you know, a, a product that you can monetize for the future. Um, and that is going back to your tech partners, seeing how they can allow you to evolve. Um, but yeah, it's, it's kind of been what it has been for a long time. And, and now we're in the middle of seeing that renaissance again. So in terms of breaking out from the easy then, which I think is a fantastic phrase for this, what should publishers be doing more of? Andreas, what is something that is being left on the table at the moment? The first thing is, you know, if, if you don't have the right tech stack, you're going to show the same ad to every recipient of the newsletter, which yeah. is just a horrible, horrible practice. You know, the, the more you have people using your newsletter, you'll build up an understanding of their preferences, of, of what they want to see, what they're interested in. If you don't have a tech stack that takes that into account and then show you an ad that's relevant for you, you're doing it wrong. And this, this even counts if you have deeply integrated innovative formats. You need something that's able to do that. Um, also on top of that, you know, if, if you don't innovate on the, on the formats, like you guys just addressed, you're doing it horribly wrong as well. So those things need to be settled. And then you need to have the right products there. You know, and when I say products, I mean something that's interesting for the advertisers. You know, you need to have products that's engaging. You need to have something where, you know, you charge this in a manner that makes sense. This thing about saying, you'll get my send out on Thursday, it's going to be $10,000. And I don't know how many people see it. I don't know how many people click it. You're not going to get a happy advertiser from that. So, you know, having relationships with lots of advertisers or either directly or through partners that have contextually relevant stuff for your newsletter, engaging formats, and then have, you know, all your first party data in your platform being part of the algorithm that selects the right ad at the right time. That's, that's, that's where you need to be going. 100%. And I th- like you said, the example you gave there of just kind of saying, well, look, give us X amount of money and we'll deliver potentially on something at some point, maybe. It just seems like a, a completely retrograde way of looking at things. And so that, many, many publishers are parked exactly there today, unfortunately. Well, I was just about to ask then, why do you think more publishers haven't made that move to automate in email advertising? Is it a lack of understanding? Is it kind of investment in time or cost? Is it that they think their current solutions are good enough? Because as we mentioned, the, the email renaissance is only just kind of getting underway in earnest. So do they think, well, do these publishers who are kind of a little bit behind the curve, do they think that what they have is fit for purpose, even though it might not necessarily be? I think a lot of guys, you know, this is sort of a yardstick of agility of an organization. So if you're doing the right thing here, you know, you probably work in an agile organization. And if, if you are sort of stuck in status quo and not really working with the formats, it's probably a lot more cumbersome to get anything done in that organization. That's just really, really zoomed out. We, we have guys coming onto our platform who have dreams and visions. They sign onto the platform three years after they're still running, uh, you know, uh, MPU format in the top without really doing anything about it. And they have limited success. And we try to help them. We try to educate them. We try to inspire them, but sometimes it's just hard to get thing done, things done in larger organizations. So I'm not saying that, you know, sort of how agile an organization is, is the only thing that determines it, but our practice and our experience is that it, it has a good deal of, of influence on, on how successful you are with, this, with these things. And then you can say, you know, we've been discussing for a long time, you guys have a world, you know, uh, burning platforms and traditional media and print going away. And that created a lot of, 
willingness to go and try stuff. Mm-hmm. But I, I think that willingness was not necessarily followed by the agility to go and build new products and invent new concepts, which is what you need to do. See, I think what's really interesting about what you've just said is this idea that it's not necessarily incumbent on the smaller, more agile companies to do this as well. It is important, in fact, imperative that larger organizations actually take a look at what they're doing around in email advertising as well. So as, off the back of that, then, what is holding the larger companies back? We've we've had a couple of uh, guests on Media Voices before who say that it just takes a long time to get through layers of management, to get buy-in from people who don't necessarily understand what the tech is doing. So how would you actually go about convincing people that this is this is something that can be done and done effectively and really, really well with, you know, potentially less of an outlay than they think? Yeah, good question. I uh, I don't think anything comes comes easy. <laughs> Obviously, you know, by adding an email ad server, that would that would that would that would definitely help uh, and and give some of the answers on the way. No, I think I think also a little bit back to what Andreas was also talking about 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 before. I think you know, I think maybe a lot of publishers are. Maybe not, you know, I wouldn't say missing the bigger picture, but I think it's just how do we move a lot of the, you know, the money from, from, from print over to, 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 to online subscriptions, you know. I know a lot of uh, publishing thought, thought leaders, you know, they really see email, for example, you know, as a, as a very, very efficient tool to actually g- generate, you know, paying subscribers and converting them from the email uh, to become whatever uh, paying subscribers either or as, 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 as just a subscriber on the email. Mm. But but also on 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 the website, and then what about you know for the the newsletter that's that's about whatever um, uh, uh, wine you know yeah. why not you know make a subscription about that you know and then start converting you know so <laughs> I th- I think there's a lot of opportunities. Obviously, you can always start somewhere, and you can start simple. Uh, that's that's obviously the way to go forward usually. But yeah, I think there's tons of opportunities here. You touched on something I wanted to bring up, which is how wide can we go with this? What sectors can be taking advantage of in email advertising more than just kind of the, the straight news publishers? Is this something that could be done by, you know, even the smaller organizations who are pushing out emails to pre-existing um, consumers? I think there's a huge long tail that, that needs to be addressed uh, of, of people who are doing things that are a little bit outside of the traditional publishing. There's a whole long tail of private clubs, organizations, nonprofits that should be exploiting this much, much more. And, and there, of course, there is another big, big, big player in the room we're not addressing now, which is called retail media. Mm. They have exactly the same challenge. And, and I think 2022 is going to be the year of retail media on many, many fronts. And, and we're trying to address that as well. And we see a lot of interest in that. People who are basically saying, how can we automate a lot of the process that used to be very, very hard and very, very cumbersome, where you have the same challenge of getting the right message into a newsletter based on every individual user. And and that's what a lot of people are struggling to do today. And and when it comes to the long tail, I think it's basically lacking solutions. You know, mm. uh, hopefully we'll get to the point where you can go to your ESP, you can go to your MailChimp or, you know, whatever platform you're using, and then you can drag a commercialization element in. And then you, you for your 500 subscribers might be able to generate $50 a month, which is not much. But if you're a private club, club that can be free coffee for everybody, every, every <laughs> member of the club. Yeah. So yeah. there's a huge long tail and, and there's a, f- a few sectors that are also ripe for, for, for doing things here. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's non-negligible revenue as well if you are a smaller organization. It could make such a difference. Mike, earlier you mentioned that B2B was potentially a little bit behind the curve there. In terms of B2B publishing, what is preventing more investment in this area? I, everything that we're kind of touching on, it, it's an understanding. It is certainly layers of management. You know, you have to have a, a staff who not only understands it, but who then can break it down and say, all right, how can we, how can we advance it? You know, it's very easy, I think, for a smaller publisher as well to say, hey, this is working. Let's just, if it, 
if it ain't broke, don't fix it, right? Like that's the old saying. However, um, that it's easier to do that because you, you have less of a staff, you have less of an understanding. So I think working with people who can help you educate your teams uh, and understand why this is a benefit, that's really, I think, a, a, a big benefit uh, or a big, big issue as to why we haven't seen the movement so, so quickly. Also, um, as we were just kind of saying before, if it could be a canned solution, if it could be something very easy that could be implemented, I think you will see the market change much faster. You know, there's a lot of moving pieces and it can make you want to pull your hair out. But if it's a canned solution and it's, it's plug and play, I think you'll see the, the industry move much, 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 much faster. That actually leads neatly onto the next question, which is how do we all then see that publisher email sector developing? Is it going to be the development of those easier kind of canned tools, as you said, Mike, or is it going to be that there is going to be one or two big players who kind of take the lead and really help steer this development? It's always hard asking people to predict the future. What we see right now is a lot of sponsorship platforms popping up where, mm. where people are, are trying to, to basically facilitate, you know, to, to be the market maker between uh, supply and demand in this market that has uh, a lot of relevance at this point. I think there's going to be a lot of uh, consolidation. In, uh, we, I don't think we are in the consolidation phase for that yet. I think it's still going to explode for at least a year or two and then stuff is going to happen. It's going to be consolidation. And then maybe at one point, you know, a big player is coming in and trying to consolidate as much as they can into a bigger player and then you have you know to be honest we a lot of the time use the analogy that you know we are trying to address uh, a technology niche that's been underserved but we're still following the trajectory that web advertising took for Hmm. the last 20 years and to be honest you know how we see things now a lot of the guys who are out there you know we see that to be honest, we think that they are 10, 15 years behind in what they're doing technology-wise. We are trying to only be five to 10 years outdated compared to what's, <laughs> what's out there else. And I think, you know, the guys who can catch up to the web as fast as possible while preserving the privacy, which is the mm. biggest challenge for, for web, uh, they're going to be the winners. You know, I would love to position us there, but, you know, let's see how the world plays out. You know, there's other players out there trying to address this, but I think our privacy and technology first approach is probably going to be the winning strategy. So, you know, but, yeah, it's hard to predict, especially in the future. Yeah, but I mean, definitely considering the amount of effort that's been going on on preserving user privacy, making sure that people are aware of the the primacy of their own data and you know where they can actually choose to deploy their data or not. One thing that I wanted to touch upon there is you you mentioned that there might be an early mover advantage for kind of players who want to get in the space and really help define it in terms of the tech side. In terms of publishers, is there an early mover advantage in being one of the first organizations? consumer-facing organizations who does in-email advertising really, really well and actually makes it a kind of enjoyable, viable experience for consumers. You are going to get all the nice benefits of email before everybody else. And this means that you can evolve and develop faster than everybody else. And this means that you basically have a head start. And let's be honest, if you just have you know 10 minutes of head start on everybody else, that, that advantage just becomes greater and greater. It becomes a snowball because you can innovate faster and you can learn faster. So... I think, you know, if you don't try to be spearheading this, you're doing it wrong. You know, you Mm. need to be out there experimenting. You need to be experimenting with newsletter formats, with ad formats, with technology, with, you know, all of the things you need to be experimenting with. And then when you find out what works, keep keep innovating, you know. if you don't do that, you're going to get left behind. So, you know, you could say that, you know, if you're static, you're slowly getting left behind. So just standing still and waiting for I don't know what is not going to get you anywhere. So I, I think there is a huge advantage, meaning that you're going to see the future before everybody else if you're out there on a forefront. Yeah, I'd rather fail fast than be a late adopter. 
you spoke there about being kind of early to the early to market with this, but how do you measure the success of an email advertising campaign? Excellent content. Yeah. Including ads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, obviously I think content is is the key. Again, if it's whatever topic, you know, the newsletter is about. We talked about it a few times already, you know, it it, it, it you just need to, you know, to to maintain a healthy sort of audience and a list there you know it just needs to be excellent um, at all times and 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 how do you measure that you know the 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 the, the easy answer is you know uh, open rates and 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 churn rates you know on the audiences and 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 for the advertisers you know it's about engagement whatever clicks and conversion rates and if if i had one metric mm. open rate you should just you just said it on us and i can mm. give you you know we we see thousands and thousands of newsletters in our platform and i and you know if if you are hovering at 30% you are you're, you're you're part of the middle good set of guys. Yeah. If you're above that, you're doing excellently. If you are less than thirty percent, you need to look at what you're doing. That's just to throw some stuff in there. So if you're looking for a single metric, then look at your open rate. Thirty percent and above, you know, you don't have to worry. The house is not on fire. <laughs> if it's less than thirty percent, you're probably doing something wrong. And those trends need to stay on track on the longer term. So, you know, you cannot just, if, if you as a publisher have the right advertisers after one or two send-outs, but if you put down a strategy and you evaluate month for month and you see the open rate slowly move in one or, one or the other direction, that's the final measure of the quality you're providing because that means that people are really looking forward to your content. And if you, if you have that situation, you're doing it right. Mike, how does that compare to kind of B2B and B2C sectors? Is there something that's different between the two when it comes to email yeah. marketing in, app, in email advertising? Content is king. I, I, as Andrew said, I mean, look, when you look at all these subscriptions for, for TV networks, people subscribe to like all of them. And then like, I never use any of these. So they start to, you know, they start, they start to cancel them out. And I think email is the same way. It's an oversaturated market. And you really want people to, to want to be invested and to receive your email or they'll just opt out. So content is certainly king and, and it allows you to, yes, I think looking at the metrics, opens and clicks allows you to work with your team internally, like your content team to say, Hey, this is working or this isn't working. And how do we drive them back? So yeah, you got to look at the, you have to look at the basic metrics to understand the bigger picture. Nice. Absolutely. And we were coming to the end of our discussion. I wondered if we could maybe wrap up by providing a five, 10 year view on to what extent email is going to be a bigger part of the media mix in the future. Do we expect that it's going to grow as kind of the tech develops alongside it? Do we think that the recognition now of that direct relationship is going to empower more publishers to invest? Do we think that it's going to become a bigger part of the revenue mix even? So to what extent do we think that email is not just here to stay as part of publishers' revenue strategies, but will grow over the next five, 10 years? That's a heavy one. <laughs> I, I, I could quote you a bunch of statistics. You know, uh, there's there's many different sources, but you know, if if you combine them, then we're looking at about three hundred billion emails every day. That's a and, terrifying and that's number. Three hundred billion every day, and that includes everything. So there's a lot of unserious. There's a lot of status mails. There's a lot of your message was read, single line emails. Mm. But but in general, there's also a lot of really really high quality in there, and that's growing. And it's growing year for year, month and month. And it has been doing that since the 70s. I don't see that that's going to go away. So it's not a question about if email is going away or not, because it's not. It's a question about, are you joining the wave? You know, are you joining this as a medium? And if you're not, then email might not seem important to you. But if you were doing it right, it would be important to you. 
<laughs> Absolutely, yeah. The, the fact that you're not that it's not delivering is proof that you're not doing it right. I suppose. Just add, add, adding to that, I with my freshest uh, statistical uh, uh, numbers here, I read that seventy three percent of millennials they identified as their preferred means of business communication. Wow. I believe that absolutely. Wow. Yeah. So that is, it's not going away anytime soon, particularly around sort of the area of direct comms. <laughs> yeah. Fantastic. Not like it. Yeah, exactly. So thank you so much for taking the time to have a conversation. It's something that we talk about all the time on Media Voices is how publishers are using email, not just in terms of direct engagement with consumers, with readers, but as a revenue play as well. So it's been fascinating to hear those stats. It's been fascinating to hear your hopes, your optimism for the way that publishers can actually use email to really build up their businesses. But more importantly, thank you so much for coming on and just enlightening myself and the listeners about the realities of in-email advertising. It's something that I don't think gets enough attention. This was great. Thanks for having us. Of course. Well, as a very final question then, if people want to find out more about Pacendo, where can they go? Uh, If you do a quick Google search, you'll have lots of resources there. Just put in Pacendo. You know, we have a unique name. So uh, yeah, go and and Google it and and see what pops up. There's going to be lots of of interesting information, both across LinkedIn and uh, all our other channels. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much, Andreas, Anders, and Mike. It's been a fantastic chat, and hopefully the listeners have got as much out of it as I have. Thank you again. Appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thank you.